Hello folks, and welcome to the Welcome Trust and Pulse Award funded Anyone for Coffee podcast with me, Sarah Golding. Hello! Yay, this is episode 7, where we focus on our first of three episodes on epilepsy with the amazing Lucy Shirley. You have to sing her name because she's so amazing. And she shares some of her origin story and has had epilepsy diagnosed since childhood. And I'm very excited to also introduce Matthew Walker, who is our medical professional for the next few episodes, talking all things where and how to find help and information on epilepsy. And is more than qualified to talk to us as he has a long, 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 long list of amazing epilepsy-related jobs, which he's doing probably all of them right now at the same time. And you'll hear about those later. Now, did you know that there are over 60 different types of epilepsy known and being treated across the world right now? Uh, We could chat to a person every day and fathom their different stories for over a year. Wouldn't that be cool? Feel free to fund me to do that. I won't mind. And we wanted to raise awareness of epilepsy as a condition, often hugely debilitating, to be honest, sometimes mild and all in between. Now, these statistics, the numbers of folks who have this is perhaps shockingly more than you'd think and Matthew talks about that later and I want to say up front right here right now that some folks even now maybe even you still feel afraid or anxious or refuse to share that they have this condition for whatever reasons that exacerbate this stigma into existence so this is my effort to encourage folks to share their stories to inform your closer friends and family of your condition perhaps workplaces and beyond and talk about your worries and issues just to help wear away that stigma of epilepsy so that folks feel informed and educated on how to feel supported and help someone who may be suffering and to also fathom what to do if someone around you has a seizure because as you'll see Charlie falls apart when she sees her pal collapsed and convulsing and I have to say, please be warned about the shocking nature of this first episode because of the graphic depiction of the seizure so straight to that our audio fiction segment today starts straight in with all the pals and charlie's mum around at rachel's house about to tuck into gabby's infamously gorgeous chocolate mug brownies i want one now when rachel has an unexpected violent and prolonged seizure and then another and then another now there have been some signs and signals in previous episodes and things like those strange absences and feelings of deja vu that we've tried to convey through echoes and repetition of the words spoken as felt by rachel so without further ado here's how those unknowing group of friends coped and would you know what to do well hopefully after this you will enjoy here she is hostess with the mosters rachel you're right there, Rachel. Oh, shit, Gabby, Freya! Rachel's fainting. She's fit, faint. She's fit. She's a fit fainter. She's fainted. She's... Oh my god, she's banged her head. Don't, don't hit yourself. Oh my god, Gabby, Freya! Jesus! What do I do? Do I put this in her mouth? That's what they do in the films, isn't it? Yeah, maybe not cricket bales though. What if she bites through it? She'll get splinters in her mouth. I'll, I'll Google it. Google? You can't trust any search engine to tell you the truth. Look, the NHS website. Here you go. What is a fit? What's going on? Oh dear lord. Right. Move her away from these walls and get those things off the carpet. Gabby, go and get some cushions. Does she have allergies? Allergies? Like, is she allergic to bee stings? Any foods she can't have? Like, is she allergic to sausage? I'm not sure anyone's allergic to sausage. I can't think. Rachel certainly isn't. Okay. It says here on the NHS website, some seizures cause the body to jerk and shake. It's a fit. While others cause problems like loss of awareness or unusual sensations. She was acting weird earlier though, wasn't she? I mean, her eye was twitching too. Did you see that? And last time at yours, she was like kind of absent for sex. Put the cushions everywhere so she hits them and not the floor. Okay. okay, Rachel. You're okay, my darling. We're here. We gotcha. They typically pass in a few seconds or a few minutes. Oh my God, this is horrible. How can we stop it? Rachel, stop yourself. You can't stop it. She can't stop it. She's just got to get through it. Jesus, Rachel, please don't die. Okay, it says here only to move them if they're in danger. Okay, check. Done that. Cushion their head if they're on the ground. Check. Loosen tight clothing around her neck. Oh, get a scarf off, Charlie. Careful! Ow! It's a black eye for me then. Great, thanks, Rach. And then when their convulsions stop, turn them so they're lying on their side. Okay. All right, Rachel, good girl. Get it all out. Stay with them. 
talk to them calmly until they recover, and then note the time the seizure starts and ends. Oh, that info should be at the top of the list, shouldn't it? Oh, my God, she's ground about six chocolate brownies into her backside and the floor. Lovely. How long has she been doing this? I don't know. Over a minute now, I think. I don't know. It feels like hours. Oh, okay. Okay, she's stopping. She's stopping. Shall I hold her arms now? Or I don't no. know. No. Just stay out of her way. Oh, my God. Jesus. Mum. Mum, sort her out, Mum. She's going to be fine. Mum. Come and get her on her side. Clean her up. Okay, it's okay, Rachel. You're going to be okay. Because if you're not, I'll bloody kill you. Uh, I didn't know she had anything like this. Did you? No. Is it epilepsy? What is it? I don't know. But should we call an ambulance? She's not coming round properly. If she was sitting up and talking to us, I'd say no, but she's still dozy. Well, dozier than usual. I had to say it. Oh, just make sure our airways are clear. Ugh. Yeah, it says here to call an ambulance if it's the first time Jeez. someone's had a seizure or if the seizure lasts for more than five minutes or they don't regain full consciousness or has... Oh, no. Oops, she's starting up again. Move back. Oh, Pop that cushion there, Charlie. Oh, shit, Rachel, stop, Rachel, stop it, stop it, stop it. This is fucking scary and I'm not very good with this kind of thing. Oh, we hadn't noticed. Oh, Flo, Jesus. you are amazing. Where did you learn what to do? Oh, St John's Ambulance. Used to volunteer for outdoor theatre events and stuff like that. Well, you're brilliant. Definitely calling you in a crisis. Well... I'm not always useful, but thanks for that vote of confidence. Right, I'm, I'm calling the ambulance. It says here to call one if they have had several seizures without regaining consciousness, and that's happening, right? Oh, my God. What? Oh, she's wet herself. Yeah. <sighs> coming out of everywhere. Okay, that's okay. Charlie, stop. It's okay. Her body's just taken over for a moment, doing what it has to do. Oh, sorry, I was just in the loo getting some peace. Oh. Goodness, what's happening here? What's up with Rachel? Rachel's having fits, like, like proper. Did you know she had this? Has she, she spoken to you about it? No. I don't know why she didn't tell me about it. She should have told me. That as may be, but it's not about you right now, is it, Charlie? Oh, well said. Oh, sorry, I just... Okay. I didn't... Right, um, I'll go get some wipes and stuff and fresh clothes for her when she comes around, and I'll throw things in a bag for the hospital. Good idea. Someone's got a sensible head on them, at least. Right, come on you, be useful. Stroke her hand or something. That'll bring her back to us. You time that last one? Yeah. Hello? Yeah, my friend's having a seizure and... Yeah, oh, sorry, Um, ambulance, please. Yeah. Hello? My friend's having a seizure and... Yes, she's in a safe space. We've put cushions... Yeah. No, no, no obstruction to the airway. She's, she's still breathing. Yeah, we, we read she should go on her side after the seizure, yeah? Yeah, we, we did that. Um, she's had two so far. It, it is two, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Please stop. About a minute, two minutes each. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank, thank you. I'll... I'll call again if anything happens. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, 12 Drayton Gardens HP91 of you? No, really, it, it is. No, I, yeah, thank you. Bye. Uh, the ambulance is on its way. Okay, that one was two minutes, seven seconds. Should we put her on a side now? Or, or, I don't know. One, two, three, rock and roll. Oh, there we go, my darling. Oh. Um, um, do you want to maybe wipe her mouth? Here, that's a clean tissue. You sure it's clean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just don't trust these things that have been in your pockets. Charming. Oh my God, there's chocolate brownies everywhere. It's a massacre. I need some sugar. Don't. Oh, I can't help myself, I'm so hungry. Let's not waste it all, yeah? Oh, you're so gross sometimes. Mm. Sometimes I do wonder how you can be my child. Oh, thanks. Charming. I'm not sure whether to change it yet or wait until the ambulance gets here. Well, a little quicker to put her in the car, because I can, I can drive her, maybe. Uh, what if mm. she fits again? We could all have an accident then. Oh, yeah, OK. <sighs> she seems to be calmer now. God, my eye hurt. Yeah, she gave you a right cracker there. Mm. Maybe I should get some ice for her too. She, 
She took a good crack to the head from the wall. I think. Oh, she cut herself there. Oh, Look. no. Okay, you stay with her and talk to her. I'll go to the icebox. <sighs> All right, dickhead. Enough of the dramatics. It's good show. I believe okay. you have you just given the best performance, performance of someone having a fit. You can, you can snap, snap out, out of it now, all right? So there you go. Ooh, poor Rachel. I'm a bit worried about her. Uh, she's been whisked to hospital and, well, let's hope she's okay. I'm sure she will be in the hands of medical professionals sorting her out. Tune in next week to find out if she wakes up in hospital and how the friends coped next. Thank goodness Flo is there. <laughs> uh, would you have known what to do? Please listen again if you've forgotten. <laughs> or Matthew does do a recap later in the episode. So I have to say... In all seriousness, it is horrific seeing someone in that state. It's shocking. And we can't avoid seeing what's happening because it can be so so violent, a reaction, a moment, a minute. And two minutes seem like a really long time suddenly. And, of course, it's almost always completely unexpected. And I, I don't know about you, but I have seen one or two in random places in my life, uh, random strangers surrounded by people helping who they did linger in my thoughts after, long, long after the day of the event. And I often have wondered what happened next to those people. I have a little movie in my mind of those moments. So we're going to hear from Lucy now, who plays Rachel and tells us how her epilepsy first manifested. It was diagnosed and treated and how she coped with that diagnosis from then on. It probably depends on what your perspective is on how long I've been suffering, because I measure that by when I had the first fit, which was around the age of, and that's a proper grand mal seizure, tonic-clonic, often referred to, and that was around 12 years of age. Mm -hmm. However, I'd had quite a few years before that where I was experiencing what I didn't realise was absent seizures. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going mad, if I'm being honest. It, It was a really strong sense of deja vu yeah and I was probably around seven or eight when I first experienced that and how exactly does that manifest what exactly happened you say it's like I I the way the way that I would describe it is like deja vu Mm. so I when I was younger and I first experienced it I was actually keeping a diary Mm -hmm. and I can remember writing down in the diary for that day when I first experienced it today I felt like I had nothing to live for which is seven uh, yeah it's seven eight and and that was how it felt to me it felt like I lost all perspective on who was around me. Mm. So I obviously was at home with my parents and family in familiar surroundings, but everything felt unfamiliar. Mm. So it was was really terrifying. Mm -hmm. And it would, from the outward eye, you probably wouldn't realise at that stage what I was experiencing because I probably kept it together. Mm -hmm. Might have looked a little bit anxious perhaps, but... No one realised I was going through it until I actually had the full-blown seizure because I didn't tell anyone. Wow, okay. Because you didn't think it was... I didn't know. I thought I was going mad. Yeah. I I, th- I mean, how you put into words that... And, and it wasn't until I first met neurologists and explained this sense of deja vu mm. and they started nodding and agreeing and, oh, yes, I know what you're talking about. And I thought, okay, so other people have explained it. Mm. I mean, this is going back to a time where there wasn't Google or you weren't yeah. accessible to the internet. So I couldn't just think, you know, type in a few bits and something come up. It yeah. was just you were left to your own devices. No internet doctors. I know, no yeah, internet yeah, doctors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no uh, self-medicating or anything or self-prescribing. So it was, I, yeah, didn't confess to this until... Until I actually had the seizure. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Confess. It's like quite interesting well, to say. It, it, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think my family were a little bit, not hurt, but my mum especially was concerned that I didn't feel that I could tell her that. Right. And it wasn't at all an active choice of I'm not going to tell anyone or trying to be secretive. No. It was just I didn't know how to explain it. Mm. And I'm sure it's the sort of thing that as a child, if you explain that, 
I'm not saying you wouldn't be taken seriously, but I can imagine, you you know, a, a parent might think, what are you talking, making stories up or, yeah. or that, you know, the talk around mental health and awareness of that, perhaps nowadays, if I had spoken about that, it might have been viewed differently. But when I was in the 90s sort of thing growing up, yeah. perhaps it wasn't quite as spoken about and, and my parents might not have thought to have taken me to the GP or, yeah. or something, whereas nowadays perhaps a parent would. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's brilliant to bring that up now. I mean, for someone looking in at someone having that type of event, what would they see? Uh, what? Um, I can probably only speak from my own perspective because I think that's the interesting thing with epilepsy is that it manifests in, there's probably no two alike cases. Everyone has their own ways. So in my circumstances, I think as the years went by and I started opening up more, Mm. my close family, not, I wouldn't even really say friends probably, but my close family would notice this sensation come over me, but to, you know, in a school environment or, Mm. or out and about people probably wouldn't notice. They might just think "Mm, she's gone a bit quiet. Okay. And the weird thing is. Because you are quite a loud person. I am quite a loud person. And I always (laughs) have been quite a loud person. So it was unusual for me to be quiet. (laughs) But I, I used to take myself off and put myself somewhere quite quiet. I used to feel almost a bit agoraphobic with it I I wouldn't have liked feeling this sensation and knowing that there was space around me so I'd find a corner or a small room right. and, and and that would make me feel a bit more secure essentially kind of womb-like place of safety yeah it just yeah. I think it just I suppose it maybe was a bit like a panic because I've never experienced a panic attack but I imagine that perhaps it's a similar sensation that you just the whole world just feels really big and you feel really small and and that's probably how I would describe feeling so it's not painful it's not painful emotionally yes it is painful because mm. of the cluelessness of what's going on and it almost feels like you're listening to the world through like in, in a bit of a tinny sort of sensation so conversations would be going on sometimes it would happen when uh, I say it would because I've not experienced this for about six years now okay. Good. um which is great yes, yes. um <laughs> But I would not be able to maintain a conversation very easily while I was experiencing it. So I might go a little bit quiet, but I would get, when I say deja vu, I would sometimes be sitting there quite often when I experience this. And I wouldn't necessarily know who was going to say something, but in my head, I'd be thinking of this random phrase and it wouldn't mean anything to me. And then somebody would say it. Right, And because then I thought, am I psychic? And I can see why in years gone by, people associated epilepsy with witchcraft and things like that, because it felt a little bit sort of, I say deja vu because it sounds better, but almost psychic. Interesting. Yeah, there's so much we don't know about the brain, isn't there? And how we can connect. And potentially, yeah, that side of things is a fascinating study that I'm sure they're doing things about. But yeah, yeah. well, I I can only imagine because I can't be the only one that's ever experienced that side of things. So I should imagine a lot of people can share in in that. So that's really interesting, isn't it, as well? I think with a lot of conditions, folks are insular in dealing with the situation perhaps as you said there's close family close friends Mm. that you might kind of know but Mm. I mean it's not something and the only reason I know about it is because doing theatre with you and at some point it has cropped up that this is something that you're dealing with and that it stops you from doing certain amount of things and that you made us aware of yeah I I I think once I got the diagnosis I mean when I had the first seizure Mm. it was a shock to everyone myself included however I would say it was probably the least upsetting for me because I wasn't aware of what was going on Uh so when I come round, it all happened and everyone around me is upset but for me I thought well why am I in the hospital what's happened and and I just I was unconscious for that but the doctors said everyone is entitled to one seizure in their life you know under stress or your body does funny things Mm. and they were a bit of the mind you know it's not any great cause for concern I had a second one in quite close succession which they said okay now this isn't normal right now we need to run more tests right and then that was after a few different um I mean quite nasty things obviously at the time I didn't realize they gave me an MRI scan which Mm -hmm. is sort of path of course but 
the I remember being told by the neurologist, um, good news, you've got a normal brain. Okay, great. And I thought, okay, oh, funny, you know, that's uh-huh, good. Uh-huh. And I realised afterwards when it was explained to me, it was, you know, you don't have a tumour or or anything nasty right. there mm. that, that could be pressing or making... A cause, Yeah, yes, yes. So mm-hmm. although, yes, it was great I had a normal brain, that was quite scary that you think actually that could have been the case. Mm-hmm. But as soon as that diagnosis came through, which actually came through on a sleep EEG, mm-hmm. and it just showed electrical activity while I was asleep. So you monitored overnight? Yeah. Overnight, well, actually, yeah. it wasn't overnight. I had to stay up all night, which I thought was great when I was, you know, 12. And then I had to go to, uh, I think it was a Oxford hospital. I've had two of them. I've been to Charing Cross and Oxford. And then I had to sleep during the day. So okay. that was lovely. But it showed when I was asleep. And as soon as I got that diagnosis, I've always been completely open mm. about it because it's the sort of thing, I don't know, maybe it's a bit of defiance, actually. Maybe it's because of the age, you know, early teens being diagnosed and oh. it probably wasn't something deemed as being cool or, you know, you wouldn't choose to have it. Mm. And I think I've always been quite defiant that, you know, you want to make something of it then if, 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 uh, and I've never had aggro about it, but then I think, well, maybe that's because I've always been open Mm. and nothing to hide. I think that's really important because I think for folks who do see someone having an event or a fit or some other, whatever manifestation Mm. happens due to the epilepsy, I think it can be quite shocking. So I think the, the more that people are aware that it does and can happen, you know, and it could happen to anyone, as you said, well, potentially once in your life, yeah. that's, that's, you know, some part, part yeah. and part for some people, but more than that is is a worry. And I, I think the conversations like this are really important because of raising awareness of, of that kind of thing. I mean, if, for example, going back to your first bit that you had or mm-hmm. event, what, can you remember that? Can you remember no. what led up to it? Can you remember... I'd been at school and I'd had a fairly normal day from what I can remember. Mm. I, bearing in mind, I'd been having these absences, not knowing it was linked. Mm. So I can't remember whether I'd been having them that day or not. But the likelihood was that it it would have been around that time I would have experienced that. Mm. And I remember coming home from school and the house was empty. And I think I then felt one of these absences come on and I went into the downstairs cloakroom, which is the smallest room in our house. Mm -hmm. My mum was out picking up my siblings from school. She came home and I was in the bathroom and I don't remember any of this. Coming out of the bathroom, I don't remember. can only remember going in. And coming out, apparently my eye was twitching. And the first thought that my mum had was, you know, has she taken something? (laughs) Is there something? Because I suppose you wouldn't automatically assume it was a seizure coming on. She called for a neighbour who agreed, you know, this isn't normal, couldn't Mm. get any real response. And they called an ambulance. And it it was quite a long time of not remembering because I can remember vague parts in the ambulance, but I didn't actually have the the full-blown grand mal seizure until arriving at Wexham Park Hospital. So no one actually saw that from my family side. Mm. They were just told that it had happened. I don't remember any of that. I remember waking up on a ward in the children's ward Mm -hmm. and uh, being really offended because there was a young boy next to me who was watching EastEnders and wouldn't share his TV. (laughs) First world problems here. (laughs) Um, But I suppose that was the the blissfulness of being young. You know, I, I, I just thought, okay, back, you know, at that point, I was back in the room and and feeling like I was drowsy and and disorientated, a bit sick, mm-hmm. but generally okay. And just you know what what was that? Mm-hmm. But your body does wonderful things, and it obviously just shut all of that off for me yes. and protected me, mm-hmm. so I don't remember a thing mm-hmm. about it. And as far as the aftermath of that, did you live any differently? Did you think any differently? What kind of happened as a result of that? I think I was probably of an age that it didn't really occur to me that much Mm. because I think being told anyone can just have one of these and perhaps your body was just reacting to something, I thought it was a blip and it's fine. I'm sure my family probably didn't respond that way. Sure. And I think there was only a couple of months between the first and the second, if that. Right. So they were very close together. And and then following that one, 
Yeah, I was quite, I mean, the, the biggest thing I think in a way was a sense of relief that I now understood what these few years of kind of mental torture were mm-hmm. and it, and it and it made me feel normal right. as backwards as that sounds mm-hmm. it was a relief to understand actually what i'm experiencing has a name and it isn't that i'm going mad or whatever mm-hmm. else i thought i was experiencing so that that definitely a big sense of relief yeah no fantastic i mean as far as now is concerned how is it manifesting within your your world now how are you it's it's been a day-to-day day-to-day it's I'm on medication for Mm -hmm. it so it's and I'm fortunate because there's many people who suffer from epilepsy and medication doesn't manage to control it for them and they can also have very difficult journeys trying to find a medication that suits and the right dosage. Mm. And I've been very lucky. I've been on two different sorts of medication and Mm. both of them fitted me really well. And I've not had any bumpy roads trying to find the right one to suit me. Mm -hmm. But I I had an appointment with my neurologist recently and uh, we discussed the possibility of coming off the medication there isn't it's very limited side effects and I think because I've been through puberty on this medicine it's Mm -hmm. hard to know whether it's just me and who I am or whether it's a side effect through the drugs but he said to me that the three main side effects from the drug that I'm on are a higher risk of suffering from depression right or your lows being quite low Mm -hmm. irritability Okay. Which I don't think I have. Maybe others would disagree. <laughs> I don't think you have. You're a probably amazing person to know. <laughs> and the third one is a um, feeling more tired, mm-hmm. which that one is quite interesting because I will sleep for hours and hours and I can get a really good night's sleep and yeah. I'll wake up and I will still feel tired. Right. And I've just assumed it's me. I function fine, don't get me wrong, but perhaps that is something that I am more susceptible from the medication. Mm-hmm. But... In the great scheme of things, they're not really anything to complain about. The first drug that I was on, I did come off around eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was I was quite keen to do it. I'd had a reasonable period of, I'm not absence-free, but grand mal, main seizure-free, I think it was around four years. Okay. Which uh, I was quite keen to try and come off the medication. Mm-hmm. And I had a fit, it took six months to come off the drug in a slow sort of reduced capacity way. So we did it sensibly. Mm -hmm. And 11 days later, I had a fit, full-blown grand mal. So back in, more tests. Again, how did that manifest? What happened in that particular occurrence? I was actually at home on Mm -hmm. that occurrence. And that that one was quite a scary one because my whole family was there on that occurrence. And again, a perfectly normal day. And I was in the kitchen and again, the twitching started and again, an ambulance was called. Mm -hmm. And I think because they, you know, typically I can imagine people that have lots of seizures, they wouldn't call an ambulance every time. But because mine happened so sporadically and so infrequently, it it seems to be, I think it catches everyone off guard and then it causes more concern. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But on that occasion, my brother was there and when he came in the room, I asked who that was. Okay. Which caused a lot of, I don't remember doing it again, Mm -hmm. but it caused him a lot of upset. And it's, and uh, and again, I, I sort of vouch that it's, it's the people around you that it's more yeah. upsetting and, and more alarming to at mm-hmm. the actual time of it. What it does inside of me obviously isn't very pleasant, but watching a grand mal seizure is extremely unpleasant. Sure. And I mean, how would somebody know that? I mean, you talk about twitching as a potential start of it. That's yeah, that's a I start from I mean, twitching and convulsing is is the main in a in a gram I mean my neurologist put it quite plainly when he said to me, Did you get down on the floor and shake, rattle and roll? Which, wow. yeah, yeah, wow. Uh, it was, I, I was, I've got quite a good sense of humour and I took yeah. it in my stride and laughed. Yeah. But equally, you know, it's hard to challenge him on that because sure. that is what it is. The crux sure. of it is that you come down to the floor, either somebody helps you down or if you're on your own, you might fall. Mm-hmm. And you do just, you shake and, and, and convulse. What kind of period of time 
have you experienced? Only minutes. It's only... Well, it sounds a long well, time. Well, yeah, minutes. yeah. But yeah. I, I think it feels a lifetime when it's happening. But a minute or two mm-hmm. is, I'm told, how long I've ever had it for. But I've done some quite bad damage during really? some of those. I mean, I've given myself a black eye before. Mm. One of the misconceptions is about putting your hands in somebody's mouth when they're having a fit and Mm. under no circumstances should you do that for fear of getting your fingers bitten off or for causing damage to the person and you know and the best thing you can do is get the person on the floor or in a safe place Mm -hmm. put something under their head ensuring there's nothing around them that could do any damage and just let them thrash it out okay until they come around no of any kind just make sure they're safe make sure they're safe make sure i mean you could talk to the person Mm. and and just reassure them but something under the head and and then don't try and restrain them in any shape or form and just be there for when they come around because for me that's always been the scariest part Mm. yeah i mean with a sick bowl as well So it's, it's convulsing as well as productive. I, when I've come round after all of them, it's almost like a migraine. And I've been quite sick after them as well. Okay. And that feeling lasts for a long time? Um, they've, they've differed really, but right. no, not a long, not really a long time. I think you feel a bit groggy afterwards because all of your muscles go tense. Yep. And, and then it's afterwards you think, oh, I feel like I've been at the gym and, and that's how I've experienced it. And I think, oh, you know, I really ache everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's probably from forcing your muscles from relaxed to tight yes, and then sense. relax. It's mm-hmm. um, putting them under stress. But the headache, you know, like a, a kind of, I would say for a day afterwards, because mine happens so infrequently, mm. it, it seems to take me longer to then recover from it afterwards. Right. I think shock comes into that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, a different, a strange occurrence, isn't it? In the, yeah, in and, and, and the unpredictability of it, because mm. you'll feel fine... Stress is a big trigger for me. They've happened, any of my big seizures I've had during uh, GCSEs, Mm A-levels, my Mm -hmm. degree, a really stressful day at work. So they've all had a kind of similar theme that I've been under quite extreme pressure or stress. Mm -hmm. And perhaps my body's just gone, my stress container's full and I'm going to overflow everywhere. And Mm -hmm. the way I overflow is through a seizure, perhaps. It's... Mm -hmm. There's definitely a trend there. Mm. And, and just going back to a seizure of whatever kind it might be, and if there's somebody around you there, kind of aftercare for someone that's had that kind of thing happen, what do you suggest is best I, for them to be helpful? Well, I think being there is helpful, being mm. supportive. I'm, I know I've never experienced it. Some people have incontinence during an mm. episode. So I think being kind to the person is a, is a big positive step that you could make I for me I would benefit from being told what's happened because even though the person that's seen it may be shocked themselves I wouldn't remember I would assume what's happened but not necessarily know what's happened and Mm -hmm. I think being told you're okay I'm with you you've had a, a seizure Lucy I think that would be really helpful Mm. especially somebody who wasn't an immediate close friend or family oh i love my cast of amazing women and uh, lucy shelley she's uh, no exception and i hope that listening to her story has resonated with you and perhaps also inspired you to tell folks who might need to know if you have this condition about your situation just so they're able to support you if nothing else by talking or at least having the comfort of knowing they know and getting them to know what to do if any seizures do occur is obviously kind of important too for your safety and for everybody's mental health, I guess. If you think about how everyone is potentially affected, you know, you do matter and people will care. So I don't know, it's worth saying, isn't it? <laughs> and of course, as Lucy finished with saying there in this first of three interviews, Getting folks to fathom the importance of being able to recount what's happened when a seizure occurs to inform the medical professionals so they understand more about how to treat the patient has become more and more important. So hopefully by listening to this, you'll at least have the knowledge that if you see something like that, write down what's happening, how long things are happening for, and anything else you note that you feel might be important to tell a medical professional and the person when they rouse from their seizure. 
Now, Matthew Walker, wonderful fellow, has a wonderful list of jobs in the field of epilepsy. And I was hugely excited to contact him via a mate of mine. Thank you, Becky Ackermans. And I was delighted he could come on and talk about firstly where and how folks can find help and how they can help themselves. I am very, very excited to welcome to Anyone for Coffee, Matthew Walker, who studied medicine at Cambridge and St Thomas's Hospital, is chair of the Board of Epilepsy Research UK, a professor of neurology at UCL Institute of Neurology and the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery, University College London, is the president-elect of the British branch of the International League Against Epilepsy and, well, oh, so much more. How do they fit that onto a badge, Matthew? Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, well, obviously, you're, you're super qualified to speak to us about our questions today. And I just want to jump straight in, really, with regards to the condition itself. How would you define epilepsy? Let's throw a little uh, curveball at you, first of all, because from chatting away to the lovely Lucy, it manifests in so many different ways. If someone thinks of the word epilepsy, it might be very different to others. So how would you, as a medical professional, define epilepsy? Yeah, so it's the propensity to have seizures. And seizures, Mm. I'll just explain a bit what what seizures are. So seizures are like these sort of electrical storms that occur in the brain. And depending upon where in the brain they occur, depends Mm -hmm. upon the manifestation. So if they occur in the part of the brain that controls the, the movement of the arm, then the arm may jerk. Or if they occur in the part of the brain that's to do with memory, then people may get very strong feelings of things like deja vu and and memory flashbacks. And then these electrical storms can spread and they can spread throughout the whole brain, at which point people may have what is the maximal sort of expression Mm -hmm. uh, of of epilepsy, which is the sort of convulsions. So that's where the the electrical storms spread throughout. Now, the truth is that any brain, any person's brain, any sort of animal brain, can have a seizure. So we have uh, flies and we look at flies that have seizures. So almost any animal can have a seizure. Right. And it's really just if you push the brain enough, so if you push the excitability of the brain enough, then eventually you can uh, cause these electrical storms to happen. And people do that all the time by drinking excessive amounts of alcohol and withdrawing from it. And that can cause a, a seizure or Sometimes illicit drugs can cause seizures. Yes. And then when people have things that can damage the brain, such as sort of traumatic brain injury, a head injury, or, or a stroke, then those as well can result in seizures. Right. But epilepsy itself is not just having one seizure. Epilepsy is about the fact that the brain is in a state that uh, these uh, seizures can occur spontaneously without any obvious necessary precipitant. Mm-hmm. And so that's what epilepsy is. So epilepsy is really, I mean, we all stand around having a risk of having a seizure, um, but it's incredibly small. And it's just when that risk becomes high so that you're likely to have these seizures that, that, that we term people as having epilepsy. But, you know, it's very common. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people sometimes don't realise quite how common it is. So about 1% of the population at any time have epilepsy. Right. Well. Wow. But the risk of having a seizure in your life is about 1 in 20. Okay. And of having repeated seizures, and, and what that's what we term as epilepsy, where you have this risk of having uh, more than one seizure, it's probably about 1 in 30 people in their lives will have that. Mm-hmm. And that's quite astounding, really. So, you know, in a, in a class of children, you know, that's quite a lot of people, if you look then across the school and so on. And similarly, if you just go to any event, if you think about the amount of people there might be a concert, that then ends up being quite a lot of people within, within a crowd. So, yes, fascinating. And with regards to somebody who perhaps has had experience of at least one seizure of any kind, and wants to get some information as to you know how they can get more help. Where would you suggest people look? Yes, yeah, certainly. So there's a lot of educational things out there. I mean, the first thing to say is obviously if anybody's had a seizure, yes, uh, then it is important to to seek medical help and to see the GP. And and um, every person with a seizure mm-hmm. uh, should be referred on to a neurologist for an assessment because the, these you know the 
the question that we need to answer is why the person's had the seizure. What is it that's caused it? Yes. And so, you know, people need to be investigated and examined. Uh, but if, you, if you've just been newly diagnosed with epilepsy, there is a lot of help out there. So there are a number of charities that have both helplines and websites. So uh, in particular, Epilepsy Action and Epilepsy Society have uh, helplines and, and yes. information on their websites. Uh, and they also, particularly Epilepsy Action, provide leaflets and leaflet information about epilepsy, about what it is, about the impact of medications. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing to say to people who have had their first seizure or have just been diagnosed with epilepsy is that the medications have improved dramatically over the years. So it should be possible to get the majority of about three quarters of people uh, completely seizure free mm-hmm. on a medication that shouldn't have a big impact on their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does mean that there's about a quarter of people in whom we can't do that. And, and those people have repeated seizures or seizures that can't be controlled. Right. Um, and then that's a very different condition. And yes. that, can, that, that can be very challenging. Yes. It can have an enormous impact on people's lives. I mean, with regards to the types of treatment, what kind of uh, information would people be looking for with regards to how they can move forward with these different types of treatment? Yeah, so again, so the um, the information's out there. I would warn people that there are many things on the on the internet where people tell their own sort of personal stories and, and you mm. may end up getting... Uh, a rather skewed view of some of the medications right? Uh, because many of the medications uh, react uh, with people in, in very different ways. So yeah. one, yep. uh, you know, medication that one person can tolerate and, and is, has no impact at all on somebody may have a devastating or unacceptable impact on someone else. Yes. Uh, so really you need to get an overview of the risks associated with the medications. Mm-hmm. As I said, when I, when I first started, in neurology, there was only a handful, maybe four or five medications that we could use in epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now mm-hmm. we have over 20. Gosh. So it's, it's becoming increasingly easier to try and tailor appropriate medications for the person. So depending on the age, the situation the person's in, other medications, whether people will be planning pregnancy or not in the future, those sorts of considerations are all things that we can use to mm-hmm. try and find or try and direct people towards the best medication. Yes. And I say if people really want to find out information about the drugs, I would recommend that they first go to one of these charities, Epilepsy Action or Epilepsy Society. Mm-hmm. And there's also a children's charity, Young Epilepsy as well, which has uh, a lot of information about the different medications and the side effects that they can have. Uh-huh. And I think when people are going on to a medication, either when they're going on to the medication for the first time or if they're changing their medication, it's very important to ask the doctor to, to explain what the possible side effects are. Yes. Usually doctors are good at doing that, but sometimes, you know, in the busy clinic, it's something that, that is left out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is useful to have a discussion around this because people may find that they're going on to a medication where they really don't want the possible side effects from that. Yes. I know in our interview with the lovely Lucy, she spoke about how things were kind of measured, if you like, after she'd had her second event and she went for, for overnight sleep analysis and and that kind of thing. I mean, is there information about what to expect as far as how things are looked into after you've been diagnosed? Yeah, so uh, there is information. Again, I can direct people to the same sort of places that I just mentioned, mm-hmm. the uh, Epilepsy Action, Epilepsy Society, Young Epilepsy, they all have uh, information there about uh, what the sort of pathway or the path that a person with newly diagnosed epilepsy will take. Mm. But as I say, the, the almost, well, all people with, with a new diagnosis of epilepsy should be seen by a neurologist or somebody with a specialist interest yes. in epilepsy. And they, you know, a detailed history will be taken and the person will be examined. And one of the challenges, for example, in epilepsy is that in between the seizures, there may be no particular sign that the person has epilepsy. Yes. Um, yep. And even when we do scans and we record the brain waves with a method called EEG, even when we do those sorts of things, in between seizures, they may look absolutely normal. Right. And so we, you know, the neurologist is very dependent upon uh, the you know, the, a description of what occurred in the history of the condition. And so, and so just again, if people have, uh, have been newly diagnosed or they have had their first seizure, 
what is absolutely critical is a witness account of, of what has occurred. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, I think one of my frustrations is I often see people who come to me, but because they've had the seizure, they can't describe what happened. Right, yes. Um, and the description that, that somebody's written for them is, a, is very vague. And then there are a number of things that it could be other than seizures. Uh, and so we do need to have that, that uh, accurate witness description. Yes. And that's probably the most useful thing. And then we'd look into... Uh, what may be the underlying cause of the epilepsy, mm -hmm. and that would include doing a very detailed scan, so a, an MRI scan of the brain, yes, and a, a recording, an EEG recording, which usually we just do that a 20-minute recording if we're going to be doing one. Right. But, but for some people, it may be necessary, there's some uncertainty either to record for 24 hours or to bring people into hospital and record people you know, overnight or for a day. Right. So they're Depending on situations, we may need to do that. So you could just go in and, and do that over sort of half an hour of your time and then be out of hospital and, and carrying on? or Yes, exactly. So so the investigations, usually it's a, a scan that may take an hour or so to have the complete scan and then an EEG, which you're looking once you've got the electrodes on and off. And it, may, it may take up to an hour of your time, but recordings usually only about 20 minutes. And how long does it take to get that information sort of as the patient back? How does that sort of get fed back to folks as to what action is going to be taken as a result of finding out those results? The thing with most of these investigations is that they, it takes a little while to get uh, them properly analysed. So usually if there's something that is you know, worrying or needs to be communicated, usually people get that information back very, very quickly. Uh -huh. But otherwise, you know, it may take uh, a number of weeks for those particular investigations to be analysed. So it may maybe mm -hmm. a number of weeks later before somebody will get the information. The information is often sent first through to the GP. But uh, right. again, as I say, what usually occurs or what almost always occurs is that somebody will have a follow-up appointment after they've had the investigations in order that the results of those investigations can be communicated. Right. Superb. And somebody who, who has had this manifest a few times within their, their lives so far, how do you suggest that they help themselves? What can they do to you know, live as normal and, and as, as positive a life as possible, knowing that this is part of their world, potentially, again, at some point? Yes, I think that's a very good question. I think there are two components to, to, to this. So the first is, you know, what can people do in their lives to try and reduce the risk of having further seizures? Mm. And as I say, the, the seizures themselves are these sort of electrical storms, and it's as the, the excitability of the brain increases that you're likely to have these, and certain things may have a, a large impact on that. Mm. So uh, certain illicit drugs, will. Uh, so avoiding those would be always a good idea. Sure. Alcohol can have an impact, and it's usually... You know, having a, a single drink is not going to make a difference. Drinking excessive amounts of alcohol, binge drinking, and then withdrawing increases the risk of having a seizure. And then the other thing that can have an impact are things like lack of sleep. So uh, sleep deprivation can often bring on seizures or make people more likely to have seizures. And stress and anxiety. And it's easy enough to, for me to sit here and say, you know, lead a, a stress-free and anxiety-free life, but it's much more difficult to actually do that. So, yes, so how can issues around sort of mental health and uh, and all that goes with that be be helped? Yeah, so, I mean, mental health and epilepsy are very important issues because hmm. anxiety can make the seizures uh, worse, uh, stress can make seizures worse. Um, and we know uh, as well that depression can sometimes have an adverse effect. Mm. But the other thing that's important from the point of view of epilepsy is I think people just view epilepsy as the seizures themselves. Mm. But people with epilepsy have an increased risk of mental health issues, in particular anxiety and depression. And I, I, what I see only too often is that these aren't adequately addressed and that uh, it is important because very often these have can have an enormous impact on, on people's quality of life. Yeah. So I think there's a lot people can do for themselves from the point of view of anxiety, certainly, which are techniques such as mindfulness, mm. also seeking help from GP. Very often, cognitive behavioral therapy can help both with depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And if they are problems or they are 
evident, then it's important that people seek that sort of help. Yes. And then, you know, obviously, if the depression or anxiety is severe, then the medication may be necessary. Yes. Uh, but we, we do like to avoid medication, uh, additional medication in people with epilepsy because they're already taking drugs for it. Yes. Um, and then the last thing just to be aware of is that some of the medications themselves can have quite a, um, a large impact on mood. Mm. And these are very powerful medications that we're giving to try and stop the seizures. A number of them can cause mood problems, depression, irritability, anxiety, and even people can have uh, uncontrollable anger outbursts and things associated with some of the medications that we use. Right. So if people notice a change in mood when they start a medication, it's important that they discuss that with their doctors. Wow, what a jam-packed episode. Hmm? You're exhausted. <laughs> Should we do a test? No. Uh, if you have been... Oh, Sarah, serious face. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast, please do contact a medical professional to get the medical help you need. Or do check out our show notes for links to all the things people have mentioned today in our podcast. And that's on quirkyvoices at weebly.com if you want to have a browse on there for all our other episode links too. I just wanted to bring it back to one in 30 people have this condition, Matthew said. That's one per class. That's possibly 10 to 20 people in a smaller school that might have it. And goodness knows how many in a school of thousands. And think about it if you're going to, in the future, perhaps not this moment, rock concerts or mass gatherings, festivals. How many people there in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, will have this condition? It's lots, isn't it, really? So... I think we need to raise awareness of this so folks are prepared if someone suffers a grand mal. We are prepared so folks don't feel afraid to tell people they have it. So folks can live perhaps a little more freely if more and more folks are not ignorant, will not judge, will not get scared and know how to help and what to do if a seizure or event occurs. Well, thank you so much to my amazing cast. I think you'll agree that was a shocking and hopefully effective episode. And thankfully, Flo's quick thinking stopped Rachel from doing herself any more damage. Oh, thank you heartily to my lovely friends, Diane Alexander, as Flo, Kirsten Stansfield, as Freya, Laura Parker, as Gabby, and the wonderful Lucy Shirley, as Rachel. Oh yeah, nice Charlie, obviously. Uh, please do have a look at Young Epilepsy Site and Epilepsy Action for more information and help. And in a few weeks, we have Hattie from Epilepsy Action to give us more places to find support and information. They give us details of a very helpful place to speak to a human person if you want to on their hotline, support line and more. <laughs> so stay well, people. Seek help if you think you need to. And talk. Anyone for coffee? Seriously, we have a chat with the cast and the team set for 8pm on Sunday the 14th of June. Join us to talk about any of the conditions we're looking at with our cast and executive producer Fiona Thrail. Thank you to her for all her amazing audio awesome. Our music was by Matt Hutt and Zach Lemon and everything else was written, directed, produced, edited in a dialogue style by me, Sarah Golding. And if I can ask your help, please share these episodes just to your timelines on whatever social media you use to help me get this podcast to the people that might find it useful. That would be amazing. Thank you. <laughs> so have a great week. I'll speak to you next week, yeah? All right. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>